Hey guys, I'm excited to announce that our 2023 Impact Sports Golf Invitational, sponsored by Attestation Communications, is fast approaching on Monday, October 2nd at the beautiful Carolina Country Club, where the Corn Ferry Tour plays their BMW Charity Pro-Am. There's not a more fun way to support the ministry of Impact Sports than by getting your foursome together and joining so many others, competing on the golf course that day, but also raising the needed funds to help us fulfill the task that God has given to us. If you're not a golfer or you can't be there that day, there are several other ways that you can sponsor the event. All of the necessary information can be found on our website at impactsportsonline.org slash golf. Again, all the information can be found on the website at impactsportsonline.org slash golf. Welcome. Say all that to say this podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before we get to that, we'd like to tell you about those that make this podcast possible. Let me tell you about our friends over at Sovereign Financial. Mike Cuckle and Will Hines are incredibly gifted at taking care of you and your investments. They are both good friends of mine, and I trust them with my family's future. They not only focus on your ROI, but they also do in-depth research and investigation so you can rest assured that you are only investing in like-minded companies. They call it biblically responsible investing. You can reach out to them at SovereignFIN.com to make an appointment. Again, that's SovereignFIN.com. Dot com to make an appointment. And if you tell them you heard about them on the podcast, they will also give you a free portfolio review and consultation. Welcome to the I Say All That to Say This podcast, an outreach of Impact Sports International. We seek to use sports as a vehicle to take the gospel to the hard to reach, the lost, and, and the forgotten. forgotten. Whether that is just 10 minutes down the road or on the other side of the world. Here is your host. Here's your host. Here's your host. Here's your host, John Andrews. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Say All That to Say This podcast. I'm your host, John Andrews. As we entered into this year, I felt God moving us to use this platform to help highlight other ministries. Um, when it comes to the Great Commission, I feel like that should be a team sport, but unfortunately, that's not always the case. So we wanted to use this opportunity to highlight some other Kingdom teammates who are working in other places and in other ways. In these episodes, we're talking with people who are using their unique skills to help point people to Him and to do their part in completing the Great Commission. Over the last few episodes, we've been golf-focused because our golf, uh, the Impact Sports Golf Invitational is coming up on Monday, October 2nd, and today is no different. Uh, my guests, it's kind of hard to say guests, but plural, my guests today are Todd Lawton and Van Williams. Uh, Todd Van, thank you and for joining us, and welcome to I Say All That to Say This. Yep, thank you for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. Good to be here. All right, so I, I need to get this out in the open because I know that you guys are both competitive. Um, uh, I, I mentioned Todd's name first because he's the oldest person in the room, and I was always taught to respect wow, my elders. I appreciate that. <laughs> That was because I was the best looking, but anyway. Well, you clearly have more wisdom, too, because you're fully gray. Yeah. <laughs> well, your beard's coming in pretty good with it, though. <laughs> Baby wisdom. <laughs> so, uh, Todd Lawton is entering your your 19th year at Upstate, is that correct? 19, yeah. 19 years as the head coach of both men's and women's golf teams at USC Upstate. Van, this is season number four? Season three. Three for you at Wofford College, and you are the men's coach. Um there at Wofford. And we've got a lot of golf to get into, a lot of stories I want you guys to share. Uh, but we want to start with what we believe is most important, 
and uh, I want to know, and our listeners want to know kind of your story of your relationship with Jesus. How did you tell us, tell us about your Jesus story? And Todd, since you uh, are wiser than the rest of us, we'll start with you. <laughs> uh, mine, uh, you know, the, the classic grew up in church. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, went off to college, found a girl that I wanted to date. Uh, she looked me in the eyes. She was on the tennis team, said to me, uh, I don't date people who are not uh, Christians. And I said, uh, all right, um, we can do that. That's no problem. Um, and then... Uh, Where do I sign? Yeah, started finding <laughs> out what that meant and uh, got involved with some things. And I think God was tugging on me a little bit, but was still the uh, the me that wanted to be me. I used to like to have a good time. I, uh, I was a pretty belligerent, competitive golfer. And... Um, Fast forward in the in the spring of uh, 1991, 1990, I was at a tournament in uh, Patriots Point in Charleston, uh-huh. and uh, finally kind of broke down when a parent said uh, that uh, I had the worst foul mouth of any golfer they've ever seen. Wow. College golf. And I had known that, uh, you know, the Lord was tugging on me about changing my life, changing my ways, not just playing the game in front of people. But uh, changing, so I, uh, you know, I, I prayed the prayer right there on the 17th tee, one of the hardest par threes in America, I think, at Patriots Point. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, been, uh, it's been a harder life ever since, I think. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think the, uh, the blessings and the, and the challenges are, are both evident when you, when you accept Jesus. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't imagine my life any other way. Um, I'm, I'm a sinner from the word go yeah. when I wake up in the morning. I'm probably still sinning as I lay my head down <laughs> on the pillow, but uh, I, know, I know where my, uh, my soul rests. I know who's got my heart. I know who mm. wants me, and I'm thankful every day for, for mm. Jesus. I'm sure somebody's asking or thinking this as they're listening. Do you know what you shot on number seventeen after you after you asked Christ in your life? I made a triple. <laughs> so you were right. Like yeah, does get harder. Two balls in the water. One right, one left. And my coach came up to me the eighteenth and came afterwards and he was like, um, he said, What'd you shoot? I shot ninety two mm-hmm. that day. Worst worst round of golf in college that I ever played. And he goes, he said, uh, you all right? And I said, Yeah. And he goes, I, you're not mad. And I said, I said, No. I didn't tell him at the time, but yeah. he was he was one of the people that shared uh, his faith faith with me, and um, um, yeah, it was it was weird. Yeah, my teammates didn't know what to do because um, that was part of the gig is you you commiserated after a round and yeah. you cussed a little bit, and yeah, try to do the things that you, you know you thought you should do, and um, it was it was it was weird. Hmm. Still have some weird relationships from that with hmm. a couple of my teammates. Yeah, that I think a couple of them remember that day. Really? Yeah, they do. Wow. So it was it was neat. Hmm. Well, I, you know, I, I've quoted John sixteen thirty three many times over when Jesus told his disciples, "In this world you will have trouble, mm-hmm. but take heart for I've overcome the world." I've never thought. I've never, and you know, even when you're talking with a group of people or teaching or whatever, and you're talking about that passage, in this world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. That's a very churchy biblical word, right? Uh, you're going to have hardship. You're going to face difficulty. All the, and, you know, I insert whatever. I've never inserted triple bogey into that, <laughs> uh, but I, I guess I'll have to use that from from this point forward. Yeah, I never thought. Uh, I never thought the game that I loved, still love, 
super passionate about everything about it, right? From mm-hmm. growing grass to doing whatever would be would be the 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 catalyst and and the thing that God would use. Um, but it's it's certainly appropriate, hmm. you know. Yeah. And I think He meets us where we are. I think He 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 sees that thing in our lives. And um, you know, ironically, the girl that I was chasing never uh, never spent much time with her after that. Hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, so I, I you know those seasons in life that you see that that God wants to use. We we've got to be ready for that. We've got to be available and. And um, allow him to work. And uh, if we're not seeking him, and and we don't have other people pushing us to seek him, and that's I think that's the discipleship and the and the fellowship that's so important. Yeah. That that um, I still want to recognize in my old wisdom gray hair. <laughs> you know, I, I just appreciate you said I had hair because most people say <laughs> I don't even have hair. You know. So, um, but uh, blessed but challenged every day. Sure. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Van, tell us your story. Yeah, um, my story, pretty much only a story God could write. Um, yeah. Grew up not really in a church-going family. Uh, we were we were Christers, you know, mm-hmm. Easter yep. and Christmas um, to Methodist Church. And uh, summer between fourth and fifth grade, my parents uh, split. Uh, my mom uh, took off, and so it was my dad and I. Mm-hmm. And through fifth grade and uh, August of sixth grade, my dad comes in and says, we're going to church tomorrow morning. I'm like, oh, cool. Let's go. And Wait, it's not Christmas. That's it? right. It's not Christmas. What, what's going on? And uh, so my aunt, his sister, um, believers, had been praying for our family, praying for my dad. And uh, so showed up at church, and effectively that process began. Hmm. Got plugged into youth ministry. Um, just had some incredible mentors and leaders in that youth group that that started picking me up on Friday night and taking me camping and taking me fishing and um, more importantly using those tools to plant seeds in my heart Mm -hmm. and seventh grade on a a ski trip with the youth ministry uh, committed my life to Christ Mm -hmm. I'll never forget a guy named Steve Fry uh, was the worship leader that week and um, he spoke on footholds in your life and I'm like I got a lot of those Mm -hmm. And uh, walked down, and um, life's been changed ever since. Mm. And uh, so that's kind of kind of my quick salvation story. And I'm thankful for God's grace, and He used, you know, a, a time in our lives and our family that that you would think would be down, but how God uses all things to draw us closer to Him and ultimately depend on Him. Um, so thankful for that. Mm. Well, let me ask you this: Let's transition from your Jesus story to your golf journey. Uh, because, Todd, you've been 19 years at Upstate. That's not the only place you've coached. Uh, Van, your season starting season three at Wofford, that's not the only place you've coached. So there's been a journey. Uh, so, Todd, tell us how you and, – and you mentioned you were playing golf. You played college golf. Where did you play? I played at uh, Barry College. Yep. Small province, Georgia. Yep. Okay. And so talk about your, your golf journey when you started playing – uh, you said you were very passionate about it. Talk about that through your journey playing, because I know you did play some after college and yeah. then uh, into coaching. So I started playing probably when I was about four or five. Father was a big golfer. Grandfather was a big golfer. Um, didn't really have any intention playing much golf, but played baseball 
a little bit of football, basketball up until about seventh grade. Uh, ironically, I'm about the same height as I was in seventh grade, <laughs> which is pretty pretty tall in seventh grade. Yeah. And then uh, tried out for my eighth grade basketball team, and the point guard was taller than me and could dunk. And uh, this was in Atlanta, and I just, uh, as you know, my mom was pretty loving about it. My dad was pretty blunt. He yeah. said, uh, you know, you need to do something else. Grandfather was playing a lot of golf. He was semi-retired, a contractor. Started playing golf with him and getting a little bit better and um, just just really fell in love with the fact that I wasn't waiting on a coach to put me in or <laughs> something like that. I mean, it, it was it was that way, and my grandfather was really uh, competitive, used to take all my nickels, uh, made me pay him, uh, learned how to play the game in every facet and, mm. um, uh, you know, played a lot of junior golf, got, got good enough to, to be looked at by a lot of places, was told by several really big coaches, you know, had good academic record. Hey, we'd love to have you on our team, mm-hmm. give you a book scholarship, but you'll mm-hmm. probably never play some really big schools. And back in the time in the eighties and and I was like, you know, I want to play. And Barry College was starting a program in 1988. It was a first year. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, they had a degree in accounting. It was a beautiful campus. I said, why not? I'll give it a shot. And got my degree in accounting. Had no intention of going into golf. Uh, just had a conversation with my dad yesterday about this, ironically. My mom was, pursue your dreams, pursue your dreams. My dad was like, you're wasting your life. You know, <laughs> use your accounting degree, go into business you know, all that kind of stuff mm. at the time. Um, and now he flies the upstate flag everywhere he goes wearing golf shirts and everything. But, mm. um, you know, I, I, I kind of I became a professional, uh, went to Florida, played very unsuccessfully for a couple years, became a, a donor on the mini tours. That guy that was excited <laughs> shooting 71. Yeah. Got a check for $80 and it cost me 150 to play in it when everybody else was making money and yeah. started teaching for Wally Armstrong. He's a really solid yeah. A uh, Christian man, good mentor. Um, taught for him for a couple years down there. Got engaged. My wife said, my fiance said, I'm not living in Florida. So I took a job in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, The owner of my club there um, wanted his son to go to the, get his MBA at the McCall School of Business at Queens. And they were from Malaysia. Mm. And he called me one day and he said, hey, um, I need you to uh, go meet with this guy named Dale Lair, who's the coach or who's the head basketball coach and the AD at Queens. I said, what about? He said, they have a golf coaching position open. He said, you're going to be their new golf coach. And I was the head pro and director of golf at his club. Yeah. He goes, I'm going to let you hire another assistant, but I want my, my son to come to go to the MBA program and they need a golf coach. So they're going to start practicing out here. And that happened in 1997. That's mm. how I got into coaching college golf. Wow. So <laughs> never applied. <laughs> you uh, got into college golf because one of your golfers' dads told you you were going to get into college golf? So the owner of our club, yeah. when I was at Regent Park in, right. in Charlotte, his, uh, he wanted his son to go to the MBA program at Queens uh-huh. and found out that they needed a golf coach. Okay. And so um, he told me basically I was going to coach golf at Queens. Well, did his son play for you? Did no, you his son uh, never played golf. Okay. Okay. Yeah, his son just wanted to get his master's, yeah. his, his MBA. So um, was there for seven years, and uh, family in Atlanta ended up here when, you know, uh, uh, Mike Hall was AD at USC Upstate, decided mm-hmm. to start both men's and women's golf. And um, the irony to that is I got hired as the men's coach, and uh, Angie Ridgway, who's the coach at Wofford now, women's golf, was yeah. hired as our women's coach. 
And two months later, she was like, I'm leaving. I'm going to Wofford. And was told, (laughs) well, can you recruit the women's team for this year and maybe coach them for a year while we hire a women's coach? And that was 19 years ago. So, uh, (laughs) but it's a blessing to, to get to be a part of all these student athletes lives. What's the difference? Just maybe two or three things, because I'm sure there's a long list. What's the difference between coaching women and coaching men? It's a complete, it's a light switch. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a switch. I mean, you know, our women's team, if they're happy going into an event, they're probably going to play well. Our men's team is only going to be happy if they've, if they've played well after they played well. Yeah. You know, I mean, so it's, it's kind of a, a flipping if, if, uh, but in terms of practice, um, you know, the dedication is, you know, men's golfers are much more grindy, yeah. you know, uh, and, and and women's players are much more finesse oriented. Usually, uh, you know, they're they're, you know, my women's team is much more curious about hitting the middle of the fairway in the mid- middle of the green. And some of my guys would rather hole out for birdie from the woods and talk <laughs> about making a birdie. Some of them would. <laughs> Whereas you'd never yeah. hear that from a, yeah. a women's player. They'd be upset, our best women's players, if they had to chip in for birdie. They yeah. like they like this functional, sure, you know, an orderly hmm. fashion. But um, conversations are completely different. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Van, tell us how uh, how how you got started on this journey because you didn't start out the traditional uh, golf coach way. So tell us your journey. Yeah, I did not. I did not get my first set of golf clubs till my senior year in high school. Um, played competitive basketball, AAU basketball, and I took that into college, played college basketball. Um, but when I got my first set of clubs, it kind of became a thing for my older brother and dad to do together. So we started playing a lot of golf and just picked it up fairly quickly of playing baseball and basketball growing up and just fell in love with it. Became a, a big fan. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a player out on the corn Ferry tour which was back then the nike tour right. uh, which is corn Ferry now a guy named casey martin and casey uh, had a leg disorder and had at the time just sued the pga tour for the right to ride in a golf cart mm. um, had a leg circulatory disease um, that basically the doctor said if something happens to your leg you're going to lose it mm. um, and so he got forced to ask for it of course they said no it was a big deal back in the late 90s um, and he won ended up winning his uh, local court, superior court, and then came back, Supreme Court voted in his favor as well. So, uh, but at the time he was waiting, uh, he came through Raleigh, Raleigh country club, Nike tour event. And as a fan, I went out to watch him play and knew his faith story was a believer. At the time I was, had just graduated from high school, was working as a small group leader in my youth ministry. Mm -hmm. And, um, honestly at the time thought God was calling me into what we think of full-time ministry in a church. Um, but also had a heart to want to coach one day. But, um, but yeah, relationship with Casey. Um, got to know him for three years, and three years later he came through. I had gone off to play basketball at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, and then came back to Raleigh at the time, was playing at Shaw University. And Casey came back through, said, what are you doing this summer? I said, not a whole lot, probably playing summer league and, and maybe taking a summer class. And he said, well, Supreme Court decision is supposed to come down any time if it comes back in my favor would you want to loop? And I'm like, sure. He's like, if it happens, I pay you 400 bucks a week and you travel with me. All right. So not everybody listening is a golf genius loop. What does it mean? So loop means caddy. Okay. So carry the bag, rake the bunker, 
and tell them good job <laughs> um, and stay out of the way. But uh, yeah, it is caddying. And um, so I said, man, I'd love to. And so two weeks later, decision came back and he flew me to Cleveland and uh, did 14 events the rest of the year, mm-hmm. uh, caddying and, and a handful of events off and on the next two. So for three years, kind of did maybe 25 events or so, got to do a handful of PGA Tour events. So that was my background in competitive golf. Um, so I finished college, graduated, actually had um, had two years left after finishing my four years eligibility, went to UNCW, graduated, got into coaching while I was there, helped, helped out with uh, Hoggard High School JV golf uh, basketball coaching, and then ended up meeting my wife. We got married. I took a job coaching and teaching middle school basketball, then high school basketball, and got into coaching JUCO basketball. Mm. And got hired by a former coach at Shaw. So I spent a year as an assistant coach at Shaw and then got hired as a head coach at Wake Tech Community College. So I was a head basketball coach for for four years. And two years in, um, we had a kid from Spain on the golf team who qualified for the JUCO National Championship. Our golf coach resigned kind of like in April, right before mm-hmm. everything went down. And our AD was in his office one day and he said, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know what to do. Hugo qualified for the National Championship. Nobody can take him. And I was like, well, when is it? He said, May, whatever. And I said, well, I'll take him because I didn't want him, you know, to miss an opportunity, sure, sure. exposure for Wake Tech. And so I did it. Well, it was in Odessa, Texas. <laughs> and uh, if you've ever been to Odessa, uh, I had been one time before, which was caddying for Casey. Mm. And I, Casey and I, uh, we promised each other we would never go back. And um, <laughs> but so I, I know where I'm going come to find out it's the same golf course that Mm. that it had been at and I called Case and at the time Casey had stopped playing uh, professionally and had taken the head coaching job at the University of Oregon so he was in golf coaching and I called and said hey I'm I'm headed to Odessa to told him the story and he's like dude that's awesome he's like (laughs) so I get back and our AD's like hey Van I don't know if you want to do this but you could do golf and basketball he's extra seven thousand dollars stipend we were having our third kid I'm like that's a lot of diapers and free golf I'm like done. Okay. So two of my four years, I did golf and basketball. Mm-hmm. And uh, fast forward two years, we had a the second year I was there, we had a team that was ranked for the first time in school history uh, in the JUCO level and had a kid who won the region championship. So I called Case and was like, I think I'd rather be coaching golf than basketball. He's like, are you serious? And I was like, I mean, kind of, maybe, I don't know. And he's like, well, my assistant's applying for some jobs. I really think he's going to get one. They mm-hmm. had just finished uh, in the semifinals of match play at the national championship two out of the last three years had grown that into a top 25 program. And, um, so two weeks later he calls me and, uh, his coach, uh, Brad Lanning got the job at LMU in LA and case is like, are you serious about this? I said, I think so. And so <laughs> next thing I know I'm flying out 4th of July week to interview at Oregon and kind of got that de- that done. And next thing I know I'm loading a Penske truck, my four kids, six and under my wife, and we're driving out to Oregon from North Carolina. I'm guessing Oregon paid you more than a seven seven thousand dollars stipend. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes they did. Um, and uh, and obviously I, I walked into Christmas morning and I had more Nike stuff than I know what to do oh, with. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, that's kind of was my journey. And then um, was there fortunate enough with God's favor, win a national championship in 2016, and went to Arizona State for a year. Then got an opportunity to come back east where we were from and family to NC State. Was there for four years before I got this job mm-hmm. uh, three years ago. So um, only, again, only a story I think that our maker could create. Sure, yeah, it's awesome. Start out uh, loving basketball and baseball 
and even playing collegiately and coaching collegiately and ended up um, coaching golf. That's uh, I, I have a similar story. Uh, no, I don't. It's not anywhere close except that I coached, uh, <laughs> coached high school basketball and the guy I coached with was also the golf coach. And he said, so what are you doing? So first year I'm teaching coaching. Basketball season's over. The next day he said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? coming to school he said no what are you doing after school <laughs> well i guess i'm going home he said nope bring your clubs because we're uh we have a match and uh we'll go play the back nine while they're playing the front nine and i said well first of all it's quite a large assumption saying that i need to bring my clubs you're assuming i have some he said you don't have clubs <laughs> I, said, I do i'm just kidding i just haven't used them very much um, but that's actually when I started playing was when we would play the back nine while the, the, the high school teams were going off the front. Um, and so uh, some mainly basketball dabbled in some golf. And actually, I think, I think they labeled me the JV golf coach one year because Sam was uh, at an away match and they had some younger guys they wanted to play at home. So I oversaw that match. And so I became the JV golf coach, uh, officially unofficial. Uh, but anyway. You won, a, you won a national championship in Oregon, and, uh, Van. And then, Todd, you you finished second in the D2 yeah. national championship. Uh, yeah. well, but that was your second year at Upstate, is that right? 2007, yeah. We were D2, and we had already announced we were switching to D1. And and uh, so it was it was quite the run. Watched somebody make a putt on the 18th hole to, to beat us. And, uh, mm. um, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. I, I You know, that... What he's talking about at Oregon—that's a—that's a different world, you know. Yeah. And uh, um, but it's still that 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 energy that you get, and it doesn't matter what sport. That energy you mm. get at that highest level oh, of yeah. competition yeah. within your realm is just—it's incredible, yeah. you know. I mean, I'm glued to the to the NCAA championships, and I hate to say it, I'll watch the I'll watch the finals of the baseball World Series even if I don't care anything about the two teams, yeah. just because of that intensity. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. It's crazy, and 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 y'all know because you're basketball players. But you know, golf is like this slow, you know, process. And mm-hmm. you, you guys being basketball athletes, you know, it's kind of boom, boom, everything's happening in a couple hours, and you know. But in golf, you know, you you've got stuff processing over four, five, six days. Yeah. Sometimes in those events, and uh, there's a lot of emotion and a lot of uh, insanity that goes on at night. You know, when you're getting ready for the next day and all that stuff. Uh, tell me, um, just the mentality of things and, and you both can speak to this and I don't care who goes first. We're, we've done, uh, we're, we're finished respecting our elders. I appreciate that. So, uh, you guys can jump in whenever you want to, but you mentioned at night getting ready for the next day. I know that golf is a lot more mental, uh, than, than say basketball. Basketball is just reactionary. You get out and you play, uh, and you don't have much time to think, um, there's a lot of time to think when you're playing golf, which is one of my problems when I play, you know? <laughs> um, and so I was just curious when you're managing your players, uh, obviously there's, you know, y- you coach them and teach them technique that maybe they need to work on and repetition and you've got regimens and uh, programs for them to follow. But I would, I would assume that the mental side of things is as important, if not more so than the physical side of things. Cause the, the guys wouldn't be playing for you if they didn't have physical gifts. So uh, speak to that, the, the managing the, the mental side of things. Yeah, it's, uh, it is tough. You know, I, 
I actually have a, my oldest son is playing golf now. And I told him when he started that, that you're choosing to do the toughest thing you've ever done, but the best thing you've ever done. It parallels so many things. But I was watching a few years ago, John Rahm won an event after he had not played well, a small stretch, not playing well. And he uh, had not played well, I think Thursday, but Friday, extremely well to make the cut. And uh, they were interviewing him after and, and something caught my, my ear. He said, the most important thing in this game is self-belief. Mm. Um, and golf can beat you up. Uh, there's a lot of failure in golf. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe more than, than unbelieve, you are really going to struggle in this game. And um, so it's something I, I tell my guys all the time. Um, the most important part of this game is self-belief. Mm-hmm. And I really believe you have to have the physical tools. You have to work on those side of things. There are a lot of kids in this country that can hit the golf ball really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and very few, the elite players separate themselves by the mental game. And it's deep down self-belief. I had opportunity to coach Aaron Wise uh, in college, who's on the PGA Tour now at Oregon. And Aaron just had this edge to him that any bad shot was a fluke yeah it, it, there just was no let me think about it why did that happen it was like hmm, i can't believe that happened <laughs> and you know he still hit plenty of bad shots but it just in his mind he had a different mindset it was a fluke he was going to move on next shot was going to be the best shot he thought he was going to birdie every hole and i really think he separated himself and he is what he has become because of his mental game hmm. It's, it's so true. I mean, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the best the best players, it kind of, it's it's almost like they have an outer body experience when something goes wrong in the golf course. And as a, as a coach, you know, you, you, you stand on a par three or wherever that you're helping your team because you got to kind of let them go through and you got different points of the course. And you, you, you know from watching them practice, you know from watching them compete, you, you know how they react and, and even even more so those best players, you know what their day's going to be like. If you see them on the third hole, you can say, oh, this kid's, he's kid's not here today, mm-hmm. you know, or he's there because of that mental, that mental look. I mean, yeah. there's, there's such a slow moving part to that. But I, what I think, I think the best players also tend to, they know so much about their own games like, you know, everybody says, well, do you have to hit a thousand balls to get better? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are players, you know, I've, I've worked with the Wells Fargo Championship for years. There's a 156-player field. Last year, we set a record. We had 11 players not hit range ball the whole week. Wow. They did, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not allowed to give any names or anything. Yeah. There's 11 players that did not come and actually hit range ball. That's my kind of short guy. game area, putting green, 11 yeah. out of 156, mm. which was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Um, and there's one that's a fairly big name that literally walks up there with one club and hits two or three balls and leaves. Hmm. And then there's other guys that are out there hitting balls, you know, uh, you know, Van and I've seen it that it's like, oh man, it's, it's like, is there any rubber left on your grips, yeah. you know, and just grind, grind, grind. And then when they get on the golf course, they can't release themselves to either play well or, or, you know, make, make a mistake that, that doesn't affect them globally, yeah. but it does mentally. Hmm. So, um, is so true, and and I think you know, to the point of of the best players in the world, um, having hobbies outside of golf. Also, that you know, I've got a couple of players right now that are like, you know, some of these PGA Tour players, they don't even play golf on their free time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, they like to fish, they like yeah. to hunt, yeah, they like to do something else. Oh well, all I love is golf. 
And I'm like, well, that might that might be a part of the solution and part of the problem, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. So it, it's very interesting mm. um, how the sport is. But uh, you know, it's our strength and conditioning coach the other day said he played golf uh, recently, and he finally realized that he has to use more muscles, you know, hitting a golf ball than any other sport. Mm. But then he also realized that mentally he wasn't prepared to use those muscles in the right way. So I thought that was an interesting concept of of how strength and conditioning plays into, you know, different routines like Scotty Scheffler's routine and some of these guys that, you know, people will see them and they'll be like, you know, you know, Rory's so physically fit, but yeah. you've got a Scotty Scheffler who's he's fit, but he's not a workout machine. Right. Yeah. But man, I mean the the guy is flat out play golf. Yeah. Um I mean what Lucas Glover's doing right now. That's that's crazy, you know. I don't know mm-hmm. if you paid attention to that, but he's, he's averaging like sixty six over his last twenty five rounds of golf. I mean, a lot of his the long putter and stuff, but that this he admitted that's mental, you know, making the change. I was going to ask it, you know, because he's been a good golfer and been up and down, yeah. won U.S. Open, all that stuff, but um, hadn't played that well recently, and then all of a sudden something clicks. What if you had to guess? What do you think it is that, and maybe it's not just him, but when a golfer experiences a resurgence of sorts, what is it that clicks that that puts takes him to the next level? Yeah, I think probably an array of things, but it definitely is the mental piece. I think yeah. I think where a lot of players don't work as hard on the mental side, and so they they think technically, maybe like Todd said, or. They put too much pressure on themselves. They feel like they've got to do this. And and a lot of times you'll hear guys, you know, get to the point they're like, well, I just I stopped caring so much. You know, they'll they'll have not played well for a year, year and a half, two years, and then all of a sudden they win, and they're like, you know, I just decided not to care as much. And they're not talking about golf; they're talking about the result piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, when you focus on the result and the end result instead of the process, I think it it can get you a lot of times. Yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, you. The, it's easy to coin that phrase of process, process, process. But if in the back of your mind you can't stop thinking about the, the putt you missed on the last hole or, you know, you should have had this or, you know, I, I never make double bogeys and I did. But to the point of what you were, you were saying about the self-belief, um, I mean, I guess there's, there's something that can be taught by that, but there's an innate characteristic of some people, wouldn't you agree, Van? Mm-hmm. That they just, they just have this presence. Mm-hmm. And it's like an unflappable mm-hmm. self-belief that, that, that permeates everything. Mm-hmm. Well, as we're talking uh, mental, the mental side of things, I, I want to ask you this, Van. Um, I did a deep dive in prepping for this, and I found this information on you that I never knew. <laughs> Uh, but you were, I think this was your senior year in college, you were ranked seventh in Division Two in the nation uh, in made three-pointers per game. 3.65 uh, made threes a game. So you're, you're, you're pushing four made threes. A bad night is when you make, you, you make fewer than four threes. Uh, for those of you who are listening, don't quite understand that stat. It's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and... So, so here, here's here's where I'm going with this. All right, so maybe too many numbers for some of you guys listening, but if you're averaging over three and a half threes a game, means probably you're taking. Do you remember your percentage you shot that year? Forty. I think I was forty-two point okay. something. So, so you're if you're averaging three and a half 
uh, made shots a game, made threes a game, you're taking nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that means you're missing six or seven shots a game on average, and you're one of the leading shooters in the in the country. Is there any carryover? Because I, I was I was uh, talking with somebody this weekend, um, and he said, you know, we were talking about shooting, and he said, yeah, the next one's going in, you know, and so that they they have the idea of a shooter's mentality, which obviously you have that or had that when you played. Was there any carryover with that? Because there's there's some mental there's a mental side to that too. You know, if you miss six in a row, seven in a row. Maybe you know conventional wisdom say stop shooting that night. Tonight's not your night. Uh, shooters don't believe that, and so I'm curious if you think there's any carryover, or was there for you uh, carryover between that kind of mentality in basketball, and does it or has it translated to golf? Yeah, absolutely, it has. My dad used to tell me once that ball leaves your hand, it's out of your control. Yeah, and um, one of the things we talk about a lot in golf is control the controllables. Um, and same thing as a shooting mentality. And I talk to our guys all the time. When the ball leaves your club face, whether it's a putt, a shot, whatever, it's out of your control. Did you focus on the process? And the only thing is a missed shot in basketball that I cared about is, did I take the right shot? Did I take an open shot? Mm-hmm. Was I balanced? Um, you know, w- Was it the right shot for our team? And yeah. as long as I could say yes, whether it went in or out, it didn't matter. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, just that, that mindset was, um, to just forget about the last one, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately I had coaches that were pumping that into me and saying, Hey, next shot's going in, next shot's going in. Um, part of that going back to the physical part, you know, putting the time and the effort into shoot yeah. shooting and shots and gaining that confidence, same thing transpiring over to the golf piece of, yeah. especially in short game and on the greens, making putts. Um, I'd say that the shooting piece correlates so much to putting um, that it's scary, honestly. And uh, so I try and use those examples as much as possible, especially with not having the playing experience that a lot of coaches in golf would have playing competitive golf growing up. Mm. Speaking of the carryover, um, carrying principles from basketball into golf, um, I I love it because you guys – carry over some principles of your faith into your your coaching and the way you coach. Uh, Billy Graham once said, a coach will impact more people in one year than the average person will in an entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. So let me repeat that. A coach will impact more people in one year than the average person will in an entire lifetime. So I'm going to ask you both the same two questions. Uh, do you believe that and why? I, I, think, I think that's that's a pretty astronomical thought process, you know, but I think, you know, I think, yes, it would be hard for me to believe that there aren't more people that are in more of an influential Mm -hmm. position. But I also think that, that as, as coaches, you're, you're looked at as, as, as being, you know, not only knowledgeable in, in what you do, but you're also, you're, you're trying to help complete something that's, that's, that's a big picture. Yeah. You know, and I think for me, you know, without my faith and without, you know, what I rely on to guide me, um, I think all I would be doing is chasing the results. All I would be doing is chasing the, um, the outcome. Yeah. And, and as a coach, the best coaches, 
you know, they teach processes within practices, within life, within mm-hmm. all those things. Because any coach that I've ever ever been around that all they did was focus on wins and losses, they might have one really, really, really good year, but they don't have any any sustaining, right, lasting measure. So, um, but I think you know, to the point of of you know Van's competitive experience in, in basketball, you know, you have the benefit of of being competitive in a team sport, but also being so individually mindseted on achieving goals. That that's that's what golf is all about, or, or cross country, or some of those things, and it's such a cool thing. People say, "Ah, oh, how do you how do you coach golf?" And I said, I said honestly, sometimes my experience, whether it was a success or failure when I was younger, sometimes jades my conversation mm. with the player, and I have to be careful not to try to say relive something yeah. from the past or whatever. Yeah. But I think that influence for me is is not a light thing it's 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 an exciting but scary thing at the same point mm-hmm. you know i've got um of our of our teams men's and women's this year 50 percent of them are new this year hmm. um a couple of them had never been to upstate hmm. you know, i had a player from new zealand arrive the other day and he uh um he was just like i don't know where everything is i don't know where <laughs> anything is so i mean you, you can and you can mold that however you want to mold yeah. it yeah you know and I just hope that 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 I'm I'm rooted enough in in the biblical principles that I believe that I will allow God and the Holy Spirit to 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 move when mm-hmm. He wants to move and and uh, but that's an incredible incredible thought and I would have to trust that since I've been to a couple of Billy Graham Crusades I'd have to trust that he's he's, he's <laughs> he probably knows, what he's, knows what he's talking about you know so yeah, yeah it's uh, it's pretty neat and to have players I've been coaching for 26 years. One of my former players from from Queens just took a job at a Power Five as an assistant. I mean, Van and I both know him. Great guy. And I say he's a kid. But um, just, you know, prayed with him the other day about this. And and that's neat to to have. I mean, he has been out of my immediate purview for almost 20 years. Yeah. And to still have a a relationship Mm -hmm. with him like that. I think only God can do that. Yeah. You know. Van, what about you? Yeah. I... (laughs) I've heard that quote many times, and I try to use it as a reminder of the responsibility God's given me to steward, um, you know, our teams and our players, and scary to think sometimes, and just praying that God gives uh, us as coaches wisdom to impart and plant seeds more than Mm -hmm. anything, and I think a lot of golf coaching or coaching in general um, as believers is a lot of indirect. Um, you do have times that end up being direct ministry, um, right. but trying to live your life the way, be a great husband, number one, um, and, and be consistent. And there's a scripture that um, that comes to mind for coaching and I think leadership that I've tried to put and think, which is um, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And I, I hope that when my guys look back 20 years later, they would be able to say those things as as 18 to 22 year olds, they may not understand those things, but I want to act justly um, and and hold them accountable when they need to. But I want to love mercy and when they need mercy, because Mm. God knows I've had that mercy. Um, And and more than anything, want to try and walk humbly before the Lord, laying uh, my life down and my decisions and everything that happens within our program down before him daily. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a scary. I, I think that there is that impact that could be lifelong, lasting with those guys. Um, so hopefully, 
uh, can do our part. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that you both, and, and this is what we've been trying to get get across with these uh, these episodes, is that um, ministry doesn't always look the same, and it doesn't have to look the same. Uh, you know, you uh, Todd, you said that you accepted Christ on the seventeenth tee box in the middle of a tournament. Um, been around a lot of people, heard a lot of stories. The first time I've heard that one. Mm-hmm. Um, we we kind of joke when we do our, our our prison ministry and we go into prisons to play softball. Uh, guys will usually clown me because I usually say, "Hey, listen, this has nothing to do with a church or a denomination. You can you can mm-hmm. surrender your life to Christ right here in the Amen. dirt." You know. And and so ministry happens as you are going, right? We know that in Scripture, and and sometimes that takes us to the golf course. Um, I, I wish my ministry would take me to the golf course more often, uh, <laughs> but you know it, it takes. Not us when you're watching your kids make double bogeys. <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll say that too. Yeah, I'll agree with that one. Uh, but usually, I'm the one making the double bogey, so it's okay. <laughs> Um, but I, I love the fact that you guys view your role as a coach as ministry. And I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing people that have played for, uh, both of you guys. In fact, one played for both of you mm-hmm. and, you know, he had, uh, one played at Wofford with Van and then had a chance to play his COVID year with you at, at Upstate Todd. And, and I've known the impact and the influence that you've had on their lives as well. And so, um, that's, that's what we're to be about as followers. And I want to mm-hmm. thank you for that. Uh, so I say all that to say this, God can use anyone to do anything, and he wants to use you. He wants to use your gifts and your passions to do something in and through your life that only you can do. Uh, these these guys who've been gracious enough with their time have a platform and have uh, an audience that I would never have. And so um, when you're able to match your talents and your passions up with ministry and the call that God's placed on your life, uh, there's no better place to be. Mm. And so I want to thank you for your faithfulness and uh, your ministry on the golf course and off, um, but also for joining us today on the podcast. John, thank you so much for having us, and uh, thank you for all you do as well. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, John. It's been it's been great knowing you and and what you uh, what you strive to be. As a reminder, uh, we will release these podcasts on the first and third Tuesdays of every month. If you're brand new to the podcast, you can go back and check out episode one to learn a little bit more about Impact Sports, what we do, but more importantly, why we do it. If you'd like to hear more from us, we're now sending out weekly email devotionals called Thoughts from Outside the Boat. If you'd like to sign up to get those weekly, you can go to utterlyamazed.com and sign up right there on the homepage. To find out more about our ministry, you can go to impactsportsonline.org or you can follow us on social media at Impact Sports INT on Instagram and Impact Sports International on Facebook. We'll see you next time on I Say All That to Say This.